This Breakfast with Ben's podcast on the Fans First Network brought to you by Gerger Construction. It's not too soon to start planning your dream deck. They build decks year-round, and they're booking into spring and summer 2024. Gerger Construction is a small burg business specializing in decks, pergolas, railings, and fencing. Fully insured, licensed, and now offering financing options. Go to GergerConstruction.com to get your free project estimate or to schedule your deck safety inspection today. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Looking ahead to the backyard brawl. Tim Benz with you. Glad you're with us in the Breakfast with Benz podcast today. Lots to get to throughout the course of the week. We look into Pitt in West Virginia, this time at Mountaineer Field. For the second edition since the backyard brawl has come back, Jed Drenning joins us right now. Sideline reporter for the Mountaineer Sports Network. You can also listen to him and Owen Schmidt and our buddy Wes Euler. Uh, those guys do a podcast together about West Virginia and Big 12 football called In the Gun. So check that out as well. Jed was with us last year in advance of the Backyard Brawl. A really fun game at Akershire Stadium. We'll see what it's like this year in Morgantown. Jed, thanks a lot for taking some time to join us. Appreciate it, Tim. How you doing? Excellent. What's the vibe in Morgantown for this edition? I know how excited people were here in Pittsburgh last year as it came back after an absence. Does it have the same vibe in Morgantown this year, or is it a little bit dulled because, well, it's not the first game of the year, A and B. Um, they played it once already. What's the tone? It hasn't been dulled. Uh, when this game was put back on the schedule, people started looking into hotel reservations, which are now going for about six to $700 in Morgantown. Uh, but uh, absolutely, positively, I would say every West Virginia fan has been waiting since 2011, the last time Pitt was here, to show up uh, and get this thing cooking again in Morgantown. It is uh, an event, uh, one of the greatest rivalries, in my estimation, in all of college football. And I think that's how Mountaineer fans view it. 
Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because it was a blast last year to be a part of and certainly a good game, uh, interesting game, uh, and I think a lot of storylines came out from it. What was the fallout from that game last year in Morgantown, the way it transpired? Uh, It was frustrating the way it played out. I think they were pretty two evenly matched teams. There were some surprises in the game. We went into the game. You know, anytime you face an Arduzzi defense, you, you, you figure you're going to really have to earn your way on the ground. And we had more success than I think a lot of people anticipated. Uh, we slowed their ground game down. Uh, Pitt made some pats and plays in the throw game. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the turnover, you know, uh, the tip pass by JT off Bryce. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was so huge. A lot was made of the fourth and one decision to punt. Uh, you know, we pinned them inside the 10. We had Pitt at the eight. Uh, and early in the game, one of the things that hurt us was losing Charles Woods, who we thought was the best corner in the Big 12. And uh, that was really, by and large, the end of his time as a Mountaineer. Uh, so in that 92-yard drive, we lost our number two corner on the third play of that game. And, and uh, both sides had guys dropping, and it was a physical, hard-fought game. And it was uh, obviously the ending isn't what West Virginia wanted. And, uh, and then we came down to Morgantown and tried to regroup, and and we found ourselves against a much improved Kansas team. Uh, and so we dropped that one in overtime. So it, it's hard to dismiss the possibility that after losing a rivalry game like that, there's not some element of hangover. You hope that's not the case. But uh, with the pick game always being as meaningful as it is to, to everybody, uh, it, it probably was. So, yeah, it had an impact. There's no doubt about that. But, but the energy going into this game Saturday – I'm not going to say it's unprecedented because we've had a lot of home games that, that, that mean a lot. And of course the fans turn out in large numbers anyway. Uh, but this one has a little extra special touch to it. Jed Drenning with us. What have you taken away from how the team performed against Penn state and then the way it performed, particularly after the lightning delay against Duquesne in the first two contests? Yeah, the Penn state game, I, I do think Penn state uh, is as advertised. Uh, they, they certainly, Played like the seventh-ranked team in the country, which they were when we went up there. Uh, it was one of the largest crowds in the history of the stadium, so it had that kind of us-against-the-world feel. And, you know, we fought tooth and nail for the first half. It was a one-score game coming out in the second half. We get a three-and-out, get the ball back, and then it sputtered offensively. And, and uh, basically, we blinked. And against uh, against those types of teams, you can't blink against good teams. And, and uh, they made us pay for it. And, and uh, so we, we really couldn't uh, overcome that for the uh, – for the line share the second half and they separated and uh, beat us by three scores. So we, we came back into uh, the FCS game against Duquesne, knowing that they were a, a talented team that, that uh, really plays uh, punches above their weight. And when you watch them in, in some of these games against P five teams, uh, they hold their own, at least for the balance of a half or sometimes into the third quarter. So you knew you're going to have to show up and play. And, and early on offensively, we might, we might have done that. But defensively, from a special team standpoint, we didn't. We had the gap on the uh, on the punt that was uh, that was muffed. And, and uh, they recovered that and they made the most of that. So they're hanging around. It's 14 to 10. And as you touched on, Tim, we had this ex- extensive delay. Yeah, actually, and you know what, Jed, wasn't, wasn't it 14-14 for a while? Well, not 14-14, but 14-13. They actually scored a touchdown on that, and then it got taken off the board because of an OPI, right? Yeah, it was taken off the board. Yeah. Yeah, they ran a pick play. Uh, they ran a pick play, and it got called back. And, uh, yeah, they kicked the field goal and made it 14-10. And it had a lot of vibes like the uh, the Marshall game in 2011 with these, this extensive delay. And we were on the locker room for the better part of an hour and a half, pushing two hours. 
and you know the, the way that works is any lightning strike within eight miles of the facility resets the clock for another 30 minutes and it was reset multiple times so we eventually made our way back out and it was decided there would be no halftime first game in the history of mountaineer field there was no halftime <laughs> so it kind of had a weird vibe you know but but uh we came back out after that quick score offensively quick stop defensively quick score offensively so really four minutes of game time uh we decided the, the outcome it was up 28 to 10 we made it 35 to 10 punched another one in for the half uh so we, we came out after the delay like we should have to start the game now again you talk about the impact that a rivalry game does or doesn't have uh you know was was you know the, the part of it, the team possibly peeking ahead to pit you hope not because you want to remain focused for the limited opportunities you have and respect your opponent. But, but uh, it, it's hard to say. It's difficult to say. Uh, but it turned out the way it should have, despite uh, a pretty ugly start. Uh, like I said, not necessarily offensively, but uh, from the transition units and defensively, we struggled early on before we settled in. But uh, the, the result was what you would expect. It just maybe took a different path in getting there. You were a quarterback, Jed, in college. Tell me what you see with your eyes of Garrett Green so far. Well, Garrett's a guy that can do all the things I did, but he can obviously do a lot of things that I couldn't. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he can spin it. He sees the field. He understands the big picture of what we're trying to do offensively. So he's, uh, he's, he's become very solid over the course of his career. He's been here a long time uh, directing traffic uh, and put guys in position to succeed. Uh, kind of, uh, he, he's working into the role of coach on the field. Uh, but in addition to that, he's, he's a legit dual threat. I mean, he's one of the faster guys on the team, so he's very explosive. And, and if he sees a crease, he can capitalize on it. That's really been the first time since Neil Brown got here in, in 2019 that we've had that kind of asset at that position. So it puts you in position to do some different things offensively. You can force the defense to play 11 on 11 football. And, and sometimes that can, that can work to your advantage if you do it effectively. And uh, so I, I like where Garrett is. I like the strides that he took over the course of the offseason. I like the maturation that he's demonstrated. Uh, and uh, the locker room really responds to him. And for that matter, they respond to Nico, Nico Marchio, our number two. Uh, but uh, we're pretty happy with where that position's at right now. And I think that from a skill set standpoint, the position's in a, in a bit of a different place than it's been in recent years because of that versatility and athleticism. What's the word if we get to his targets next? What's the word on Devin Carter, and when does the Bolitnikoff campaign begin for Hudson Clements? Yeah, really, uh, Hudson Clements is a has already become a folk legend in West Virginia. Uh, you know, this is a kid that, as a Martinsburg Bulldog, scored or accounted for eight touchdowns in the state championship game, and uh, so now he's doing these big things at West Virginia. But uh, you know, he came in; he was an under-recruited asset. He came in at 170 pounds. Now he's pushing 200 pounds. He's been with Mike Joseph and that strength staff. They've they've really gotten him faster. He's he's one of the the quicker kids on the team. He's probably in the top five on the roster, uh, maybe our second fastest receiver. So he has legit speed. Uh, it's deceptive, but it's legit. Uh, and Devin should be ready to go. Uh, I mean, he kind of tweaked something later in the week. Uh, wasn't quite up to full speed before the game during pregame. So the decision was made in the 11th hour. Hey, Hudson, you get the nod. Uh, so Hudson got the start and made the most of it with the performance that he had, 177 yards, three touchdowns. And really the cherry on top was in the locker room after the game with Neil awarding him a scholarship, which was probably going to happen sometime in the next couple of weeks. But but uh, he made the most of that opportunity, and, and the team was just jazzed and fired up and excited about that on top of everything else. So 
uh, yeah, the receiver room's coming along. Uh, Devin's been an asset that I think we needed because, you know, that room was really emptied over the course of the offseason. A lot of those guys had moved on to, to the next level and otherwise. And, and so we had to repopulate. We had a couple guys coming back and Cortez Braham and Jeremiah Aaron, but, and even Preston Fox, but, uh, but we had to repopulate to some extent, and, and we've tried to do that. And the, the leader of the pack there would be Devin Carter with his size, and, and uh, he's really a technician at the position. And Gallagher's gotten some touches, the Uniontown kid. He's special. I think uh, he has a really bright future. Uh, he really does. I mean, uh, we made a concerted effort to get him very involved uh, against Duquesne because he's going to be a kid that, that that has to get reps and has to get snaps just because he's too special to keep off the field. So a combination of uh, both uh, Rodney and we got a freshman running back from York at the, and Jaheim White. Same kind of conversation with him. Those are, those are two young kids who are really special. Uh, Traylon Ray's another guy, a wide off from Florida. Um, he was nicked up last week, so he was on the shelf. But uh, there's two or three playmakers in that freshman class, and Rodney's one of them for sure, uh, that we have to make certain that, that uh, we get involved because they're, they're going to have to be instrumental for us throughout the course of this season. I was going to get to White and Donaldson next at running back. How have they been in the first two games? Uh, yeah, it was it was nice to see Jaheim uh, get as many snaps as he did against Duquesne. He played – uh, a little bit, uh, you know, before that, but he, he had a great spring, a great camp. You can see there, there's kind of an it factor to him. I mean, we know we, what we've got with CJ. Uh, I mean, it was, you saw it to some extent, well, to a large extent in camp, uh, especially in short yardage scenarios. Uh, and, I, you know, to some extent, you got to feel bad for Pitt being getting ambushed like that because. Here you have this story coming out of West Virginia's camp where this converted tight end is doing all these things at running back. And it wasn't until, you know, between the lines against Pitt that the country got to see what C.J. Donaldson really is. And, uh, of course, he, he wasn't able to stay healthy for the course of the entire season. Uh, so that, that's going to be critical for us to be for him to be a central part of what we do, because he's just a big, physical, brutish kid that's tough to bring down. And, and you can't arm tackle him. He runs through those things like pool noodles. Uh, but Jaheim. Jaheim is a kid that, uh, yeah, he, he has, he's twitchy. Uh, the, the, he does have the it factor. You know, you, you, you try and reserve yourself from, from making these comps to guys like Deuce Vaughn, but he does have the, uh, the, the tendency to get lost because he's so small to get lost uh, by defenders eyes and sneak up on you and really pop with that twitch. So, uh, and, and he's versatile. He's a guy that you can move around across the formation and put different places and find more creative ways to try and get him the ball. So, so we're, we're really happy with both those guys. In addition to Jalen Anderson, who, who came on strong for us at the end of last year, Jalen, when we were really dinged up in that room, uh, we were really high on him coming out of high school. Uh, but, uh, once he, once he got his, his sea legs under him, he had the, his first start in Stillwater in the rain against Oklahoma State last year. Ran for, I think, 155 yards and made a couple big plays in the run game for us. So working him into the mix is critical for us as well. So we're, we're happy with where that room is. Final moments with Jed Drenning here as we talk about the backyard brawl. Pitt struggled in the past game. Five sacks to Jerkovic. I think it was 10 of 32. Didn't throw a pick and three touchdowns in the game against Cincinnati. How is the defense looking for West Virginia thus far, both against the pass and the run? 
Well, I tell you what, uh, a lot of guys would love to have Cincinnati's defensive line. <laughs> you know, I'll yeah. start with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're looking at Dante Corleone and Jawan Briggs, I mean, th- those dudes are just nasty. I mean, they're just pure nasty, and and they're going to present a lot of problems for a lot of folks. So, uh, I'm not, I don't think that's necessarily an indictment against Pitt's pass protection, uh, because most teams just aren't going to be equipped with that those resources that Cincinnati has at the point of attack. But, but uh, I think we're going to have to find a way to get some pressure. Uh, because Djokovic is a kid that obviously he's comfortable in that system. He had a lot of success with that system when he was at Boston College, when he was with Signetti. And even even after Signetti left, he, he kind of carried that team. They had him and, he, and one elite wideout, and they were the entire offense at Boston College last year. Look at every other key measure, uh, and you know, total offense, rushing offense. I mean, they were they were pitiful. And once he left, don't look now, but guess who's dead last in the ACC in passing offense without Dracovic? So he's a talented kid. Boston College is really struggling without him for a reason. He's a talented kid, and, and something tells me Signetti's going to find a way to get things right from a pass-pro standpoint and put him in possession to, to really have an opportunity. They're, they're not afraid to push the football downfield. And, and I, I would think that after watching West Virginia on tape for the first couple games, nothing's going to change that fact. They're going to they're want to protect that kid and uh, try and make some plays down the field. But, but at the same time, uh, you know, this is a, an offense that's, that's on some level influenced by the head coach, right? So uh, the pedigree of uh, Pat Narduzzi is he's going to want to establish the run. I'm sure that message is, has reached the, reached the play caller's meeting room. But, but uh, so I would estimate we're going to have our hands full because Pitt, no doubt, has solved some of the issues you saw in pass protection that they struggled with Cincinnati. Finally, Jed, uh, Neil Brown, how's he changed, if at all, over the course of his time coaching the Mountaineers from last year to this year in terms of either demeanor or just X and O's approach to the team? Have you noticed anything different about him this year? I I think the biggest thing is the skill set in the quarterback room puts him in position to do some, uh, some things that are a little more creative in the run game. Uh, that's the biggest difference I've seen that, you know, I mean, Neil's Neil. I mean, he's, uh, you know, a branch off the air raid tree. He's a former receiver for Mike Leach at Kentucky. You know, he's, he's always been an air raid guy. The things he did with Seth Dagey when he was at Texas tech as the coordinator for Tommy Tuberville, those big numbers he posted in the past game there. Uh, he's an air raid guy, but he's an air raid guy that sees the, the game big picture more globally as a head coach to the lens of a head coach. And he understands that, look, you know, you might want to, you know, punch the gas sometimes and hit the accelerator, but at the same time, you got to help your defense. So he's not going to want to put his defense in a bad spot either. So I think that's where the run game comes in, maybe with Neil a little more than some of the other air raid coaches. And uh, the fact that you now have a couple quarterbacks who can make some things happen with their legs in addition to their arm has put him in a decent spot to try and do some of that. Jed, can't wait for it. Looking forward to another edition of the Backyard Brawl. Glad the folks in Morgantown get their turn to host it, and it's going to be a fun night. Uh, one more time, people can find you on the Mountaineer Sports Network, of course, doing Sideline, and then the podcast with Wes and uh, Owen Schmidt in the gun. Yeah, what we encourage people to do, we're part of the Believe Network, B-L-E-A-V, so you can mm-hmm. go to Believe.com and search in the gun, or of course we're on YouTube with the video side of it too, but we're, we're fired up about this game. It's, it's going to be a great atmosphere for college football. I, I truly believe that this is uh, returning this rivalry is a shot in the arm for both these programs, and it's, it's one of the great rivalries in not just college sports, but I think in all of sports. Agreed. Jed, thanks. I'm glad it's back, too, and we look forward to the game. Have a good call, okay? Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. All right, Jed Drenning from the Mountaineer Sports Network here on the Breakfast Events Podcast.